Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So, if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com pricing and use my code, when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part one of a two-part interview with Lindsay Brisbane. I promise you, if you listen to part one, you will listen to part two. Lindsay is an abuse survivor who had a tough decision about telling her story because her abuser is, as she says, still out there. But she feels it's so important to tell it in hopes of helping someone else avoid a relationship like hers. So, Lindsay, welcome to the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Just wanted to say, I'm just, before we get started, I'm just really sorry about your daughter. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, Lindsay, before we dive into your story, could you maybe just paint a picture, let's say, of the life you had before this abuse happened? Like, how old were you and what was it like with your family? And just kind of let us get to know you a little bit. I grew up in a small kind of suburb named Seven Hills, just outside of Cleveland. I came from a pretty normal family. We weren't well off by any means, but, you know, we always had food on the table. I definitely had parents that I knew loved me. I had a much older sister, mm -hmm. uh, about a decade older than me, but I was always just an oddball. And um, I was bullied really bad in school growing up. And Let so me slow I, down a little didn't... bit now. You threw a big word yeah. out there, oddball. In this case, oddball how? I mean, you were, <sighs> your parent, I mean, your, your family was pretty, uh -huh. in quotes, normal, and you were pushing that. I don't want to answer my own question. The best way I guess to say it is like, I was a rebel since I was born. My mom would tell you, I walked to the beat of my own drum. If she tried to take me shopping, even when I was three years old and she said, honey, I want you to wear this. I would go, no, I want that. And I'd pick out my own clothes. And she knew my personality well enough to know that if she tried to force it, it was not going to happen. And I was the kind of kid who was always playing pranks or I would try to run away from my mom all the time in stores and um, I loved Halloween so much since I was little. I always wanted to dress up as monsters. And my parents would be like, we've never even shown her, like shown her anything that's like 
scary. Like, where is this coming from? And so I came from a very like Christian household and my sister was an all-star baseball player and volleyball player. And she, she was just gorgeous. And I was this buck toothed, frizzy haired kid who just, just didn't quite fit in, in the sense that I was just, I didn't go with the flow. I was always the one that was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go. And my parents would be like, you're six, you're going. And I'd be like, I don't care. I'm not going. And they'd be like, no, you're going. Um, <laughs> At home, my family thought I was the best. I was the most talented. I was the most mm. beautiful. They loved me. But in school, I was repetitively told since I was in elementary school that I was ugly. You're so ugly. Who would you be hearing that from? Just all the kids? All the kids. All the kids. That I was ugly and they would call me a dog and bark at me in the hallways and ah. kids would play pranks on me. I had no friends really. Even the friends I did have, sadly, sometimes would play pranks on me and join in. And so it was really hard to come home to a household where you're so loved and you feel like you can't tell them no one likes me when I leave here. Hmm. And so I, I didn't really have friends and I, I didn't have that kind of connection. I wanted it, but just nobody liked me. I was too strange, I guess. I don't know. That translated all the way into high school. So I was just horrifically bullied. My husband now. Some of the stories he can't listen to. He said, to imagine someone like you being bullied that bad is just heartbreaking. Mm. And that translated through junior high and into high school. And so I didn't really date very much. I didn't really have a lot of those kinds of relationships, which I think feeds into why I ended up where I was. But now you didn't date very much because you weren't asked or you weren't going to. You weren't going to put your flag up there to say, I want to date somebody, or it wasn't even an issue? I, I wasn't asked. No, <laughs> it, it wasn't even an issue. And I'll try to make this story quick, but <laughs> it really makes a lot of sense. So elementary school, I was considered incredibly ugly. So going into yeah. junior high, I knew I had this opportunity to present a new me. And I thought, okay. Different kids? Different okay. school, okay. different kids. And I thought... Maybe I'm not as you know as ugly as people think. Like maybe I can change my my stars here. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I told my mom I need a whole new wardrobe, a new look. I'm going to go into junior high first day of school, and I'm going to make a new impression. Yes, some kids from elementary school will be there, but it's also a new crowd. I have an opportunity here. Now my mom didn't know that, but she's like, sure, whatever. And uh, I'm sitting in homeroom, and this kid Mike gets up at the front of the class, and we're waiting for the teacher to come in first day. First day, huh? And he first day, and he stands up there, Bill, and he says, "Attention, everyone! Attention, everyone!" Because he was Mister Show Off, and I'm thinking, "Why is Mike doing this? Whatever." And I'm just sitting at my desk, minding my business, and he goes, "Hey, everyone! Do you recognize her, Lindsay? My name at the time." He says, "Yeah, there's Lindsay. Lindsay Keller was my maiden name, which I don't mind sharing." But he said, "There's Lindsay. Look at her." And he goes, uh, has anybody noticed what a difference she is? She kind of looks pretty, huh? And now everyone is looking at me. So kids who did know me, plus kids who have never met me, are all now looking at me. Oh, man. He goes, she looks pretty good, huh? He goes, but we will never forget what an absolute dog oh, she was. That's incredibly and awful. no one, right? And he said, and no one will date her. And so the whole class just looks at me. And I thought, well, there goes that, because he was so popular. And uh, and he was right. No one would date me. <laughs> and that went all the way into high school, because he literally made that statement. 
And it was like, I was just tainted from that point on. And so I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was almost 18. Like my friends' boyfriends would have to take me to school dances. Like no one would even ask me Mm. um, because I was just such a social pariah, which is so strange to think, but. That's an interesting way to put it. (laughs) Social pariah. Yeah. Yeah. I really was like pariah. And then it was like you know, I finally had my first boyfriend. And again, like when you're inexperienced with dating with the opposite sex to a point where I really didn't have any frame of reference for even flirting. Like I really didn't, didn't know. So again, at home, this great home life, parents who love me, but outside of the home, not received so well. And that was always a really difficult balance to live with. The weird thing is I ended up becoming in high school, and this is how I ended up making friends, I became an anti-bully. Oh. So if I heard that somebody was going to get beat up or something, at w- one point I had stood up for myself, and I had stood up for myself in front of a crowd of people when I was in 10th grade, and I scared everybody. I didn't do anything. I just stood up for myself, and everybody went, whoa, that's crazy. And I realized I have a little bit of power here. So if I heard about people getting beat up, there was this girl who was going to get beat up and she was crying in class. I said, now, what's going on? Beat up on? by other girls, I guess. Beat up by other girls and she was crying in class. And I basically she, said to her- Because it was coming at uh, recess or whatever you- It was at the end of the day. Yes. It was 10th oh, grade. Outside of the she, building. Leaving the outside, building. She was going to get her moment. Yep. Yeah. And it was going to happen. And they were going to meet her at these bathrooms on the way out of the school. And she was crying in class. And I said, what's going on, Leanne? And she goes, and it was the four most popular girls in school had it out for. And I said, the mean girls, the mean girls. And I said, "Uh, well, you're not going to go, Leanne. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, you're going to go home. It was a Friday. And I said, and by Monday, they will never bother you again. And I remember her saying, what? And I said, trust me, by Monday, you'll be fine. So I showed up in her uh huh. And I showed up in her place. And when they saw it was me, and I said, well, if you have a problem with Leanne, that means you have a problem with me. And they wow. said, we've got no problems with Leanne. I said, none? They said, none. You became very scary, didn't you? I did. I used it to my advantage. I never really had to fight anybody. Power. It was my superpower. And all I did was act out movie scenes. Nobody knows this. movie. I would act out scenes from The Godfather, from this movie... Um, gross point blank with John Cusack. I'd say all these movie lines and it would freak people out. And so I became this anti-bully. I did this all the time, but the most popular girl in school was going to get it. And I saved her, saved her behind. Oh. And I saved her and scared the other girl. And so I got adopted into the popular kids my senior year. Whoa. Yeah. So I went from social pariah to the cool kid club. Because they realized, wow, what an asset to have. Plus, she saved my behind. So here we go. This is great. Yeah, yeah. And, They're afraid um, you'd bring the hammer down. So they had to go <laughs> into your club. Bring in the enforcer. Yeah, bring her. So anyway, she says to me that one of the popular guys, he would like to go out with you. Mm. And I thought, wow. And his name was Rob. So Rob was my first boyfriend. And he was... As far as first boyfriends go, honestly, he was really great. He was a really great boyfriend. I mean, was I didn't know. Was he in the know... same school? Mm-hmm, same school. And okay. we had known each other since junior high. Although our relationship didn't last very long, it was a good, like, first relationship, I guess, uh-huh. to be in. And I think my parents were happy because they were like, oh, good. Somebody went out with her. Because <laughs> they didn't really realize how bullied I was at school. 
And and again, now my parents feel so bad because they were like, how did we not realize how bad it was for you? And I said, and I said, I hit it. I said, because I knew how much you guys loved me and I knew how great you thought I was. And I said, and I didn't want to let you down. So there were plenty of things that happened that could, they could have caught on to. But again, my family doesn't always like to talk about hard things. So I think if I presented an, an answer that seemed reasonable, even though it didn't really fit, I think that they were more likely to go, we'll just go with that. Like, we don't want to have the hard discussion. So, okay. Yeah. Let's just get to tomorrow and uh, take it from there. Yes. So eventually, eventually somebody comes along, right? This, uh, yeah. this guy, Jay. So I guess you thought he was pretty special and vice versa. Yeah. So fast forward, I'm in college. My parents ended up moving to Florida. So I was kind of alone now. Um, wait a minute. My sister... Okay, wait a minute. You, they <laughs> yeah. moved to Florida, and where? Yes. And, and you're in Ohio. I mean, didn't they? I... They didn't tell you they were moving. No. Okay, where is everybody? Yeah, pretty pretty crazy. So I wanted to go to art school in New York or go somewhere, and my parents said, "No, your sister went to Kent State University. Right. Um, you're going to go to Kent too." And I said. Well, I don't want to go to Kent. I want to go to an art school. They said, listen, your sister went there. Your family lives in Ohio. It's where we are. You're going to Kent. And I was like, whatever. Okay. So I, I enroll. And that summer that I'm getting ready to go to college, my parents say, oh, by the way, we're selling the house and we're moving to Florida. And I go, mom, dad, How about that? How about that? So, so they move away. And you now I'm Kent in Ohio. State. Yep. And I'm in Kent State. As I'm sitting in my dorm room. And I had just gotten what, out of What year this, are we in now? Uh, my second year. So right, I'm in my sophomore. second year of college. You're sophomore. sophomore of college. Okay. And um, I'm sitting there and this guy walks past my room and we were in a co-ed dorm. Me and my best friend shared a room. My door was open and I was sitting at my desk, but I could see through the door and I see him walk by. I think nothing of it. We made eye contact, but I remember thinking like, whatever. And all of a sudden, it startled me. I turn, and he's standing in my bedroom, which... Oh, he came in. He just came in. And I look, and it kind of startled me. Like, oh, hey, hi, hey. Mm. He said, hi, I'm Jay. And he stu- stuck out his hand. And so I stood up, and I was like, I'm Lindsay. And we shook hands. It was, like, so strange for, like, a college kid meeting. I was just like, right, right. who's this formal? And he's like, nice to meet you. And I was like, nice to meet you. And then he's like, all right, I got to go. And he like walked out of my room and just went down the hall. And I thought, well, that was weird. Like, okay, whatever. So that night on AOL Instant Messenger, which for anybody listening who doesn't know what that is, it's like, we'll call it the modern, like that back then, modernly now, we would think of it like texting on a telephone. But sure. AOL, that was kind of like the texting. Yeah. And I get this message from Jay. I was so flattered because I think in my head, there was no way he could find me. I didn't give him my last name. He did some work. He did some work. And it wasn't easy to find someone back then like it is now, especially if you didn't say, here's my first and last name, all this information. To this day, I'm not sure. I know he was really good with computers. I learned that later, but I was not sure how he found me. And he's like, let's chat. And we started kind of chatting. And he was basically like from the jump, like, I want to hang out with you. I want to meet you. Like, I want to get to know you. And so my roommate and my other friend who lived just across the hall, basically, are like, this is 
awesome. Like they were like, go Lindsay. This is great. Like, I can't believe he found you. He must really. Uh, interesting. That's the interpretation. Right. So the interpretation of somebody in a really weird way finding me is considered by all of my friends who have had many more relationships with men than me. They're like, go, this is awesome. Like what effort. Right. And I'm like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, this is great. So then we first meet and I was basically like with my friends. I'm not meeting them alone, obviously. Um, my uh-huh. father's a firefighter um, and he raised me to be really self-aware. He's the kind of person of like, know your surroundings, you know, be careful. And yeah, growing support. up, yeah. And growing up, even from an early age, true crime is obviously very popular now. Back when I was growing up, not as much, but my family was kind of very much into those stories. So my dad was very much always telling me about these things and making me watch these things. So I was really kind of self-aware like that. And I had just watched this crazy movie that year, which is so bonkers to think about, Belle, but it was called The Stalking of Lori Show. And it was a kind of like a made-for-TV movie story miniseries about this girl who ends up being stalked and murdered by these kids at her school. And it was a true story. Yeah, and her mother ended up helping change some huge stalking laws. And so that really freaked me out. And I was like, that's never going to happen to me. Like, I remember that sticking in my mind. So I even told my friends, because the one friend had watched the stalking of Lori show with me. I said, you guys are coming with me to meet this guy. Like, I don't know him. And I'm not just meeting him alone. And they were like, of course, like, we'll go. When they saw him, they were like, you know, hitting me with the elbows. They're like, whoa. You won the prize. You won the prize here because... Again, nobody ever liked me, so I didn't really have a good frame of reference. I mean, plenty of people I found attractive who always rejected me, so whatever. I never stopped trying, even in high school. I'd write guys who were attractive notes, and they would read them to their friends and make fun of me. Like, But I still tried. I always tried. I'd hope. But this guy was different than all of them. It only takes one winner, right? It only takes one winner. If you get the right one, you've won. So anyways... um. He's this muscular, like really fit guy. And I had never been with a guy like this. I mean, really ripped. And he looked a lot, which is always hard for me to watch movies because I do like him in some movies. He looked a lot like Bradley Cooper. Oh, okay. Um, I can actor. see that. So, yeah. so his face looked like kind of like Bradley Cooper, which is normally not my normal go-to. And then his body was like Vin Diesel or like a professional oh. wrestler. So very, wow. yes. And so my friends were like, what a score for weird goth Lindsay. Like what kind of guy who looks like that likes a girl who looks like you? Because I used to have like this short black hair and I'd wear like weird gothy clothes or baggy clothes. Like I was just whatever. Like I was an art kid. Like I don't care. So they were just like, wow. And from the jump, he was by my side. He would message me constantly. He would want his friends to be with my friends. And it was just like 24-7, I want to see you. And it was such a good feeling. And that's where it began. Now, how long did it take from him coming into your dorm room to messaging you like crazy like that? That night. That, oh, that right night. from the go. Right from the go. Like, instantaneously i thought you'd tell me a week or two no that night it started and we had a lot in common and then it just continued until he finally wanted to meet because we would message with frequency and then once we met that continued like we would see each other but then he would always be messaging me and always be messaging me it was just kind of from the jump a lot of Mm -hmm. attention 
And that is something I'd never had. Do you recall the nature of the messages? Was it just really a bunch of nothings or was it more like, what are you doing now? Or what are you doing? Or who are you with? I mean, what was it like, do you think? It was a lot of personal, wanting to know personal questions about me. Uh, And then it was also, what are you doing? Who's around? So it's kind of a mixture of sizing you up and what are you doing? Yeah. And it would always be sprinkled in. Who's in the room with you is is my best friend at the time, Uh, Lane. Oh yeah, Lane's in there. Okay. Little things like that. And mind you also, this is really talk about another red flag bill. Yes. At the time there was something called the live journals and you could write what would be almost like blogs now. And you could write these journals and publish them for people to read. And he's like, oh, I have one of these accounts. So Maybe a couple weeks into us messaging, we meet once or twice. He tells me about it. So me and my roommates go read this live journal. And he is writing these long story things about this girl. Uh, Obviously. And it's you. It's me. And it's You're like, giving him imp- input for everything he's doing. And in this live journal stuff, it's like talking about how pretty she is and how much he likes her. and. And so not only am I communicating with him, he never says it's me or my name, but like me and my friends, especially my friends are like Googling, like just dying over reading these. They're like, I can't believe it. It's obviously about you. And like, this guy is so into you. So meanwhile, while all these things are going on throughout this entire story, I also still always had his journals all the way to the end bill where I could go read what he was publicly telling people. Okay. So imagine you're getting love bombed on the AOL and he wants to meet with you, but now you also get access to this open platform where he is spilling his guts in very long, long story form kind of things. Does he know that you're reading this Mm -hmm, journal? Because he told me to, yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot to, in the meantime, you have to go to classes and Try to look, act like a student here and there. Yeah. And it was really overwhelming for me because, again, I didn't, I had a lot of friends that were guys. In fact, most of my best friends were mostly guys. So I understood how guys operated. I kind of got to see behind the curtain. I was one of the guys. Like, so I really got to see how they would talk about girls, what they think. So I had a really good understanding of like, it for the most part, men's minds and women's minds don't exactly operate the same way. I think as we get older, we get a little bit closer, especially if you're in a relationship with somebody long term and you have a partner, you, you can communicate more. You know, we get to know each other. But what us young women think that men are thinking about versus what they actually are thinking about is completely different. So I knew this. I knew so much from being around guys so much and hearing the things they would talk about and think about, especially like if a girl liked them and stuff like I knew how different we were. But this guy was different in the sense that like he was saying all these things to me and in this live journal that none of my guy friends would ever even think about. Like Mm. they didn't even think about these things. So I'm thinking wow, he is like really in touch with his emotions or like really putting himself out there and connecting with me in this way that none of my guy friends would ever do for a chick, no matter how much they liked her. Like they ain't doing this, yeah, you know, not really, at really 20, pulling back the 21, curtain. 22. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yeah. In one of your notes to me, you said something about he and some of his friends were kind of like bad seeds. Yes. 
What can you tell me about? So this is a tough story, but I think it's an important one for anyone who's listening to hear. So sure. I will share it. Yeah. So early on in his our relationship, when we really started to get to know each other, we were kind of becoming a dating. He wanted me to meet his family. So I went to meet his mother and his father. And I remember meeting them thinking it was clear to me that his father abused him and his mother, mm -hmm. at least verbally, if not physically. And what I should say is I come from a large family and there's been a lot of abuse in my my mother's side of the family. So growing up in that environment, we were also never told, I hate to say it as kids of the 80s and then into the 90s, it wasn't talked about in my family. It was never like, that's not okay. Like it was just like, that's how your uncle is mm -hmm. with your cousins, mm -hmm. you know? So I was exposed to domestic abuse a lot but never was kind of fully told that that's not okay. Like, even if it's your family, that's not okay. So from a young age, I also had a, not a great boundary with seeing some of that stuff as bad or red flags. I kind of just went, well, families are like that. You know, like mm -hmm. families are yeah, complicated. I, I can understand that completely because I think that I had similar things. Sometimes you get together with your cousins and maybe – the father just has this abrupt way and the way he talks to his kids and the way he corrals them. And it's one thing to tell them, let's get in the car. It's another thing to drag them there, you know, and, and you just think, well, I, I don't know, that's what they do, but you, you don't editorialize it when you're a kid. You don't say this, th yeah. you know, therefore this means this thing. Yeah. And I didn't have a way of really being like, oh, that's like really bad stuff. And right. my mother's right. upbringing was awful and she's a wonderful person despite all of it. So right. much credit to her. But not all of her siblings were able to change their lives for the better, and it affected mm -hmm. their children. So okay. anyways, I'm, I, so I go into this house where it's pretty clear to me that the dad is a bad guy and that he probably abused his son and wife, at least verbally, if not physically. Mm -hmm. So I end up, and I won't get super graphic, but I end up, and it was probably one of the first times I'm fooling around with Jay. Mm -hmm. And we were at his parents' house in their living room of all places. And I thought, well, this is kind of nerve wracking. <laughs> like, this is the first time I'm at his parents' house and he's, we're, he's making the moves. Again, I don't have a lot of sexual experience at this point. I really don't. So I'm kind of like, it's exciting and I'm flattered, but I'm freaking out. Like, we could do this at my dorm or your dorm or anywhere. You're choosing here at your parents' house? And I'll never forget that the lights were on, were in their living room. And I said to him at one point, aren't you worried your parents will come down? He goes, they know not to come down here when I'm down here. Oh. And I was like, okay. And I tried to let that comfort me, but I was still like, ah, this is so uncomfortable for me. But I was like, but don't be a prude because you haven't had a lot of experience here. So don't scare this guy off and you don't want him to know that you don't know what you're doing. Really? Okay. The next thing I know, and this is, was a looking back, all of this ends up being a huge red flag and it feeds into his friends. But I remember I'm completely naked at this point with the lights on, which is a lot for a young girl who really has never had guys like her, but he is fully clothed. And I remember I would try to like take off his shirt or touch him and he would like push my hands down. Like, no. He did something and I was like, I don't like that. And he was like, okay. And he's like, I'll stop. And so the whole thing was really strange. We end up being done and I'm like, okay. Cause I think at some point I was like enough already. Like you're not taking off your clothes. You're weirding me out. Like we're done. 
Fast forward probably six months into our relationship and I'm sitting in the car with him and his best friend and they're laughing. They're looking at each other and they go, man, those girls have no idea the things we've done. And they proceed to talk about how they would hide video cameras and film girls without their knowledge. And as they say this, Bill, they both stop talking Mm. and look at me with this panic like we did that to you. And it hit me that that night at his parents' house, that's what he was doing. Because we hadn't been that serious yet. And I'm sure they would do this with girls all the time. And then he ended up actually dating me. And I think they forgot they had done this to me. But I knew instantaneously the way they were describing it. And they looked at me like, oh, crap, we did that to her. And they stopped talking about it. And I remember that night at his parents' house with the lights on and what he was trying to do to me and all these weird things and his clothes staying on. And that never happened down the road. So looking back, I was like, oh, because his friends were going to see the video. And so he kept his clothes. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm so sorry. So That's we, so bad. Yeah. And hearing that, you know, I realized there's other girls I know that Jay was with that I'm sure he did that to them as well. And I've never disclosed that because one time I was going to, my husband now said, honey, they don't need to know. They, it, unless they their come to you. Their lives would be better without it. Yeah. Their lives go on throughout their lives. Most of these people are moms and have jobs. They don't need to know that this group of guys was doing this to women. Oh. Um because it would be devastating for them. And I was like, okay, you're right. When you heard that, weren't you thinking I'm done with you? At that point, I was so deep in this relationship and so scared of him. It was like, don't even say anything. Don't acknowledge that he did this to you. Don't bring it up. Just absorb it and lock it away and just survive. Because by the point that that happened is when I knew, I, I mean, I was already in too deep. So I was just like, of course I want it out. So tell me about, uh, you say that you were scared of him. So how much time before you get the word that these guys are uh, shooting videos and things like that? How much time is that from mom and dad? six house? months. Okay. Six months later. So okay. about six but months But somewhere later. in that six months, you you became afraid of him. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. By that point I was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... You know, and it was also difficult because when he took me, so the first time he was going to take me to meet his best friend, he was, this is early on in the relationship Mm -hmm. and it was a really big deal for him. I could tell for me to meet his best friend and we walk in to meet his best friend and his best friend is my childhood friend. He didn't know it. You didn't know it. And I see this person and I cannot believe that my childhood friend is my now sort of pseudo dating boyfriend's best friend. Okay. And it made it all the worse for me as the situation progresses because someone I had known since I was a child was his lackey, always riding his coattails. Mm. And just as sick as, as my, as Jay was. And so he was thrilled. Like, I cannot believe that this girl and him are, you know, have mm-hmm. known each other since they were little kids. This is crazy. Yes. So. You know, things started to progress normally, I would say, at first, besides all the messaging and the online journal where he would be disclosing about this girl and this and that. But there were little things that started in the beginning. Um, Like, for example, I was more than put on the freshman 15. (laughs) I was a chunkier girl. 
and I was like this punky, chunky goth girl. And I never really thought much about that. And I had short, dark hair and I wore kind of baggy clothes. Or if I went out, I dressed like full goth. So if anybody's listening, kind of like pseudo the Matrix, a lot of vinyl and a lot of corsets and things. So when I did get dressed up, I mean, I dressed like a character. And when I wasn't dressed up, I just wore baggy, weird clothes. And we would be out. He was so manipulative, but so good at it because he never made me feel not one time like he was criticizing me. Like a girl would walk by and he goes, wow, you look really nice in that outfit. And I would look at what she was wearing and think, I don't dress that way. Like I would never dress that way. It was more like preppy clothes or Mm -hmm. like, you know, a jean skirt or a little Mm -hmm. crop top or something like heeled shoes. And like I used to wear these big clunky boots and And in my mind, the way he would say it, he goes, you'd probably even look nicer than her in that. And then he wouldn't say anything else. And I would think, huh, I should go buy an outfit like that. You know, it worked or he would, it worked or he would say things like, wow, I wonder what you would look like with like blonder hair. Have you ever had blonder hair? You've had a lot of hair colors. I know, but I wonder what you would look like with blonde hair. And before I knew it, I'm growing out my hair and I'm getting it colored blonde. Uh He would say things like, oh, you know, you obviously like, you know, you have such beautiful like ivory skin, but like, I bet you would look nice with a tan. And I think, huh. And I would go to a tanning bed, like very little things. And before I knew it, I don't remember how it started. I think he did it in like the the nicest way. He was like, you should come work out at the gym with me. Because mind you, he is ripped. Yes. And I'm this fluffy, chunky girl, right? He's like, you should come. I'll teach you how to work out. It'll be fun. And I thought, well, that's so nice. How nice of him. Yes, I'll go to the gym with you. And he would take me to the gym and he would be like, why don't you do X amount of reps on this? I'm going to go over there and I'll be back and then I'll set you up for your next thing. And he'd be so sweet about it. And I thought, oh, isn't this great? So the next thing I know, I go from being a goth with short black hair to being a preppy girl with shoulder length caramel hair who has lost like 30 pounds. Oh my goodness. I look like a completely different person. And to a degree, it was nice because everyone was like, you look so beautiful. Like people were like, you look great. Yeah. Yeah. What a turnaround from that elementary school. Yeah. Yep. And so, yes, well, my peers words, I mean, you know, hey, I love dogs though. So it's fine. If you want to call me an animal, let's call me. That's fine. I'll take (laughs) it. Um, But then what I realized was as we were together more, this is as I started to be like something extra weirds going on here when I'd be around his parents, his mother was very overweight and had long blonde hair. Oh, and his father would pick on his mother for being overweight Down the road, after I got out of this relationship, I realized he picked me. He picked me as if to change me, like he wished his mom could change or something, right? Like, take this overweight girl, like my overweight mother, and I'm going to make her thin. Right. And I'm going to give her long blonde hair, and I'm going to change her because my mom won't change for whatever reason, and my dad bullies her for it, and I'm going to change someone. It was like a weird thing he did, like yeah, a Freudian yeah. strange, it is. Yeah, it is. It's deep. strange thing. Yeah, twisted. So, you know, just twisted. So he was starting to change me, and in this time, I would have to go visit my parents in Florida a lot, and he would you know, call me all the time, but he would say things like, oh, I'm with these girls tonight. And it would crush me because I'd be like, what do you mean? And he'd be like, well, I'm with this girl and that girl. 
And I could tell that he was trying to push me for a reaction. Like he wanted me to get angry. Mm -hmm. But because, as I said, I had a bunch of guy friends growing up. I was like, I'm not going to react. I'm going to be cool. I'm going to be real cool about it. And you could tell that that kind of excited him. Like, wow, I keep pushing her. And instead of her getting mad at me, she's like, okay, have a good night. I would get off the phone. kept you interesting. Yeah. Kept me interesting to him. But I would get off the phone and bawl my eyes out and be like, I thought he liked me, you know. But meanwhile, I'm on the phone like, yeah, you go have a good time. So he. (laughs) More girls We weren't necessarily. Yeah. But the reality was we weren't an official couple yet. But I mean, we kind of were. You know, when I would go visit my parents, he would do that. He would be hanging out with these other girls. And it would really upset me. And I'd be like, I wonder if they read his journals. Maybe his journals online aren't about me. Maybe they're about these other girls. Like, I don't know, you know. Um, And it would kind of of upset me. But then I would come back. We'd be together. And, you know, there we are starting to become more of a couple. And at some point with that situation with the other girls, I kind of put my foot down. I said, them or me, like, make your choice. And so he's like, well, you, obviously. I was like, okay. And then we kind of became a couple then. He started to be more and more like, I don't want you going anywhere without me, kind of to a party. How far are we into the relationship when it's don't go anywhere without me? Probably three or four. No, probably like at that point, probably four or five months, I'd say. Okay. So because we had kind of started to see each other, I had to stay with my parents for a couple months in Florida. So technically, if I think about it, realistically, we probably met at the end of my freshman year of college, literally, mm-hmm. started kind of talking, saw each other a little, spent the time in Florida over the summer, we're communicating, seeing the other girls, I'm starting to change. I come back to school, we're now a couple, so now we're sophomore year officially. Mm-hmm. When I came back and we really became a couple couple, he started just being like, like if I got invited to a party with people he didn't know. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, well, there's really no reason for you to go. It's like girls only. Like it's me and the girls and we're going to our thing. It doesn't make sense for you to go. Mm -hmm. And at first he would kind of be like, okay, yeah, yeah. But then you could tell he was upset. Like I could tell he was mad. But he'd be like, okay, fine, go without me. And then he would say stuff like, okay, well, I'll go hang out with this girl instead. And I would be like, why are you acting like that? You know, you hang out with your guy friends sometimes, and I'm not upset. There's just certain situations where it doesn't make sense for you to be there. I mean, would it be that he wanted no one else in your life, do you think? Is that the idea, bottom line? I mean, like real life isolation there? I think we get to that point eventually. What started to happen more was he wanted my core group of friends to only hang out with his group of friends. It started to be anything out of his control my two really close friends, Reba and Lane, he wanted them to hang out with his best friends. Mm -hmm. And it would just be our group and that's it. He didn't like outside people. It was like anyone outside of that, no. Keep an eye on it. And it, keep an eye on it. And it was interesting, Bill. This is also really messed up when I think about it. If we were all together, you're in college, you drink too much. It's what you do. I don't know why, but it's what we choose to do. It's fun, I guess. We would all be drinking and he would never be drunk. He would never, he would have a beer in his hand and fake drinking. Oh, okay. And he would pretend to drink as much as the rest of us were all the time. I've never heard of anybody do that. Seriously, I just, I mean, it's such an obvious thing to try, you know, to be the only sober person there. 
But, and that's what he would do all uh, the time. So he would have his core group of friends, my core group of friends, and he would be so sober, pretending to drink. And fast forward many years later, I remember hearing a story about Charlie Manson and the Manson family. And when they would all do acid, he would make everybody take the full amount and he would only take a small amount so uh-huh. he could control the room. And that always has stuck with me. And I remember confronting him about it one time and saying, are you drunk? Like, are you like you don't and he'd be like oh i'm i'm drunk i'm definitely drunk and i'd be like i think you've had two beers maybe and he's like no 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 i've had like eight or nine and i'd be like i don't think so and he would get really defensive mm. and then i really started paying attention and i remembered thinking i don't i think he fakes drinking mm-hmm. and then he would start to do things like convince people to like say mean things or do mean things or give people challenges and amp things up and cause fights and dramas and he would laugh and laugh and laugh and and i remembered as time progressed i thought uh i think he gets everybody drunk and he stays sober so he can make us all hurt each other Uh. and do weird things and nobody else recognized that he was not drinking and i did because i I, because i was with him a lot yeah yeah, why wouldn't he be? He's always sure. holding a beer and like pretending to swig it. So whatever, he's like the rest of us. Uh, so the first major incident was I finally had enough. I was invited to this party by this girl in my dorm who was kind of the cool chick. There was going to be a bunch of girls there. I don't even think there was really going to be guys okay. there. Is it like now you mentioned this incident. Now I keep going back to timeline. Where are we now? This yeah. incident. This would be like that four or five month mark. Oh, we're still in that like, time period. Okay. We're still in this time period. And so I put on this cool outfit. I'm going to go. He's like, you're not going anywhere. And if you're going, you're not drinking. Like, he's like, you get too crazy when you drink and this, that, and the other. And I don't want you going. And I said, I was, I don't know that day. I was just enough. I was like, nope, I'm going. I don't care. And so I put on, I remember this like full body zip up jean suits and I had my hair down and I was like, I'm going with the girls. I'm going to have fun. So I get to the party I didn't even know how he got the number, but he starts calling the house and people are like, there's this guy calling for you. And I was like, hang up, hang up. I don't want to talk to him. And then at some point I did talk to him once. I was like, stop calling. I'm having fun. Leave me alone. Mm. And then out of the blue, someone says, Lindsay, there's a guy outside and he's like freaking out. And at that point I knew it was Jay. I was like, he's there. Right. And I was like, are you kidding me? You know, part of me was like, just stay in the house, like whatever. But the other part was like, I just knew that it was going to become a fight. And I didn't want to have some big blowout, embarrassing screaming match in front of all these people. The cool people who invited me to their party, I'm not going to do that here. Right. So I'm like, all right. And my one best friend was there. And I said, look, I got to go. He's out there. And she's like, screw him. Stay like we're having fun. I'm like, I I know, I know, but I got to go. And I remember walking out of the house and he was in the street pacing back and forth in front of this sorority house Mm. like a tiger in a cage at a zoo he was so mad and i remember coming down the porch and him grabbing me by the arm like a parent with a kid like scolding me bill and he's like we're going back to my house and you drank too much like i said you would and i'm like i'm not going back to your house i can walk back to my dorm i'm not going home with you And he's like, yes, you are. And I remember we just started this push and pull battle up and down the street towards which direction we were going to go. 
Mm. And I said, just let me go. And I'm going home. I don't need you to walk me home. He's like, you're drunk. Somebody will get you, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't care. Let him. I was like, I'm going home. Don't care. At one point, I remember that his grip on me, and he was very strong, became, I'm not letting go. And he just started to drag me. And I, at some point, we went from arguing and me being tipsy to me starting to kind of sober up and being like, I think I'm getting scared. Mm. Like, I remembered starting to get this feeling. I think something bad might happen here. I got to go. And so I'm trying to calm down a bit. I'm kind of really getting aware of how his face is looking, how, and I remember he hurt me so bad. His grip on my arm and my shoulder and the way he was pulling me was so painful. And we get to his house and he goes, we're going in. I said, I don't want to go and let me go. Let me go. I was really. Well, okay. So he's dragging you. Did he drag you into a car and then he's driving? It was walking. So he, oh. we had to walk through these college dorm streets where people are on porches partying and drinking and we're fighting and college kids are just like, Hey, you know, and I'm, we're screaming at each other, but no one cares. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we're passing by houses and parties and all these things to get to where he lives. And it's all kind of in this similar kind of community of like college kids, let's say more or less, but it's all big old like Ohio houses. And so we get towards his house and the street there is much quieter. So even that was college houses, it wasn't like the sorority kind of area. So Mm -hmm. it was darker, it was quiet. And I just had that gut instinct of, I think I'm going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. Like I just, the squeezing of my arm, the look on his face, I remember thinking, I think this is like, I'm in trouble. Mm Mm-hmm. So we get to his porch and I'm basically like, just let me go. Please let me go. Like, let me go. He's like, no, you're going in my house. We go up on the porch and he like pulled me the whole way up. And again, he's so strong. I'm like nothing to him. Mm. And especially now that I've lost all this weight, like I am really nothing to him. He's like, and we get on the porch and something in me just, I don't, I just started screaming, someone help me as loud as I could. Mm. I was like, help me, someone please help me, help me. Like I was literally screaming, somebody please. And I just remember him turning and looking at me and his face just went expressionless. Like when I said, someone help me, he wasn't angry anymore. He just had no expression, like a mask, like nothing. And and I just remember he cocked back his hand and he, he swung and hit me. And as he went to hit me, I remember I like leaned back and like turned my head. So his like punch like grazed the top of my face and head. And I went down his front porch steps. Like I started to fall backwards. And as I went to fall, he let go of my arm to let me fall. So he went to hit me. I dodged it. He hit me, but like didn't fully connect me. Yes, yes. And as I leaned back, he let go. And I remember the smile on his face, though, was like... This is great. And he let go of me. Enjoying this. Enjoying it. And then he re-caught me. So he let go of me. I started to fall. And then he caught me again. And he pulled me back up. And he was grinning ear to ear. And then said nothing. He just, and I said, at that point, I don't even know what to do. Like at that point, I was like frozen with fear. Mm -hmm. Sure. Anybody would be. and he's smiling, and then he scooped me up under my legs and scooped me up in his arms like a you would a, a groom does a bride in a movie. Yes. And carried me all the way upstairs to his bedroom, and was just the rest of the night smitten with me. I mean, could not stop smiling. I don't even know how to explain it. Like it was the best night of his life. It was so weird. 
And that was the first incident. And what were you doing while he's giving you the big smile? Thinking, I hope I don't get murdered tonight. I'm going to get killed. Those hours must have gone by like years. I mean, I can't imagine. I remember at some point falling asleep because he was like holding me so tight in his arms and like he would pet, he was like playing with my hair and just like kissing me and snuggling me and just smiling. He was like so happy. And the next morning I woke up finally at some point I fell asleep. But when I woke up, he had this look and he's like, how are you feeling? What do you remember from last night? Are you okay? Mm. You drank a lot. Hopefully very little. Exactly. And I could tell he wanted to know how drunk was I? Did I remember what happened? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't remember much. Mm. And I remember saying, thanks for getting me home. Like, thanks for taking care of me. No, that was your way of thinking, I want to get out of here and I got to get out of here. (laughs) And not die. Gently as possible, right? Yeah. And not die. I mean, you did remember everything. You remember it now. Oh, I remembered it all. And I just remembered thinking, just play it cool. He was also so sweet. Like, I don't even know how to say it. After that incident, like immediately following the incident, something in him was like, oh, I love this. This is it. This is so great. And so right after that, I remembered thinking, I mean, I know that this happened, but did it happen? Like you have this weird, did he really try to hit me? I mean, I know Mm -hmm. he hit me, but did Mm -hmm. he really hit me? Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. Like, did I bring this on myself? Like, was I being obnoxious? Was I so drunk that I was out of control? Like, you're asking yourself if you maybe deserved it somehow. Yes. And I was kind of like, did somebody need to put me in my place or sober me up and get me out of this kind of drunken, weird state? Right, sure. And immediately following that, it was, I love yous and messages and like it never happened. And so... My roommates were just, again, they just, oh, it's great. He's great. We love his friends. Like, but no. And I was just like, okay, I guess I'll just stay, stay with him. The fact that you didn't really give him the play-by-play of what happened that night. I didn't. Then he mm-hmm. didn't have to apologize for what happened that night because he was hoping that your mind had been erased somehow. And let's just get back to those good days. Let's get back to the storybook romance. Yep. And she probably doesn't remember. She had too much to drink. And and I certainly didn't tell my friends. And part of the reason why, not to bring up another film reference, but growing up as a kid, there was this movie called Sleeping with the Enemy starring Julia Roberts. And I saw that at a very young age. My mom loved that movie. I would watch it all the time. And from an early childhood age, I was like, that will never be me. I will never be with someone who hits me. Like that movie is so terrible. And I remember feeling a tremendous amount of shame and embarrassment Mm. and being like, I always thought I'd never be that person. And my boyfriend just hit me. And I think he's crazy. I don't want to tell my friends and I don't want to tell anybody. So maybe it was a Mm one-off and we'll just pretend it away. We'll pick it up from here. It's so embarrassing. Pick it up from here. Right, right. And then he started to, after that, I think I gave him, in his mind, the green light to really show himself. And that's when things got bad. And that's starting at that six-month mark where I first heard that story of him and his friend talking. But then he would do stuff like, I've never told anyone this, so I'll tell you. He would drive my car. He didn't have his own car yet. And so he would often drive my cars. You know, like if you're in a relationship, the guy's like, I'll drive. Give me the keys. Sure. And I thinking about this like it makes my heart race this is so crazy to me he would crank up the radio on back roads near his parents house like if we were going to go see them or we were in the area whatever 
And it was all country, super rural, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, you can go pretty fast. No one's around. And you crank up the radio mm-hmm. and he would floor my car. You know, we'd start going 60 and then 70 and then 80. And I would say, could you, could you slow down? Would you mind slowing down? Please, please slow down. And he would just turn up the radio louder. And then he'd hit the gas harder. Drown me out. Mm-hmm. He'd Dr- hit the gas drown harder. Drown you out. Yeah, right. Then as he's driving, now we're going 90. Now we're going 95. Now we're going 100. We are talking on roads where your car is literally going like up and down. He would then take both hands on the steering wheel. Yes. And then look at me and refuse to look at the road. Oh, goodness gracious. That's so bad. Maintaining eye contact, right? Maintaining eye contact with me. And I'm screaming for my life. Let me out Uh, of the car. Please stop. Why are you doing this? Please stop the car. Stop the car. And he would say nothing. He would just be looking at me, not looking at the road. Then I would go, please look at the road. Look where you're going. What are you doing? Look, look, look. And we would go like this for I don't even know how long, Bill. And I would be like... I mean, I literally thought I'm going to die. Like I am going to die. Well, you were. And I and and I would be so scared. And then out of nowhere, he would turn the radio down and drive normally. And then he'd like pat me on my leg, and he's like, "Ha ha ha!" Wasn't that funny? I would then be sitting there, like shell shocked, like shaking, sweating, thinking, "Who does that? He could have killed himself, not just me, both of us." And he loved it, but not just that. He loved the fear. He loved seeing the fear in me and how scared I was. Just like that night, like he loved seeing that level of fear in me. And so he would do things like that all the time, like weird things. Like to this day, I still have an issue. If we went into a grocery store or something and he was pushing the cart, I mean, who does this? He would intentionally ram the back of my feet with a cart to like, hurt my feet and so imagine being in public and you're being hit on purpose and you're wearing flip-flops or something like cutting your feet literally but you don't want to scream or say anything because you're in public and just turning around and looking at him and him just smiling like gotcha and to this day like if somebody walks behind me with a shopping cart too close like I'll freak out like I'll literally hit the cart like to my husband or something and be like back up But it was even little things like Mm -hmm. that. Like he would do crazy things like that car stuff, but then little stuff like the shopping cart. It was all the time. Like it never ended. Yeah. It kind of gets into the area of being sadistic, you know. Very sadistic. And he was that way with his friends. He then started being really verbally abusive to my friends. He started, when we get into the isolation, he started trying to prompt me to be meaner to my friends. Like he wanted me to be Mm. meaner to them. I didn't want to, but there were times where I could tell, like, if I don't say this or do something, like he's going to get weird. And then my friends would be so hurt and be like, why would you say that to me or do that? And I'd Mm. be thinking in my head, because if I don't, he might do something to you or me or everyone. Can can you think of an example of the kind Mm -hmm. of thing that he would want you to say? I remember one time we all went to as a group Niagara Falls and he would randomly pick someone in the group that it was like who he was going to bully for the night. So whether it was me or one of my friends or one of his friends, somebody would become like a target and he would just start heaping Mm -hmm. just verbal abuses on them, mean comments, mean jokes. And it was like the whole gang started to be like, oh, that's what we're doing tonight. Okay. At this person. 
And I remember, yeah, because they don't want it to happen to them. So better to happen to someone else and let's and all, let's do, all it. do it. And then you've also got this person who's orchestrating this, making sure everyone's drinking and doing shots and he's staying sober. So now you've got a group of people who are getting drunker and drunker, told what to do or pushed or given kind of devil on the shoulder here, like say this, do this. And I'll never forgive myself. We were in Niagara Falls and my friend Lane, I could tell he had it out for her that night and everyone was picking mm. on her. And I remember thinking what I really want to do is take her and leave, but we're all stuck in Canada. Like I want to take my friend and get the hell out of here, but I can't because mm -hmm. it's my car that got us mm -hmm. here and I can't leave my other friend. So, and she's not leaving because she's like wasted and in with the group. And, and I remember him saying, come on, do something to her, do something to her. Come on. And he kept pushing everybody and pushing me. And I'll never forget, like he locked her out of our hotel room. And he's like, she's not coming back in. And he's like, ha, 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 until someone does something to her. He's like, no one's letting her in. You got it? And she's banging on the doorbell. And I'm thinking, let my best friend back. This is insane. This is insane. Let her in. Oh, that's so And bad. so finally I thought, well, what can I do to her and then get her back in this room? So I got like the mm -hmm. ice bucket of water, like a hotel room ice bucket, filled it with water. And I still can't believe I did this. Yes. And I opened the door and I threw it in her face in the hallway. Uh, and he was laughing. He was thrilled. He's like, yeah, okay, that's great. Let her back in. And the look on her face, she was bawling her eyes out. Why was she locked in the hallway? She's all alone in Canada in this hotel. And then her best friend throws a big bucket of water in her face. And then finally he's laughing and he says, let's let her back in. That's, that's perfect. Let her in, let her in. Those are the kinds of things, whether it was me or others, that he would and it's kind of like, I think everyone was kind of scared of this guy. This was part one of Lindsay Brisbane's two-part When Dating Hurts episode. Part one had many of the classic signs of an unhealthy relationship. In part two, you will see how this dating relationship only got worse and why she stayed in this relationship. The When Dating Hurts book was published in paperback in the middle of 2020 followed soon after by the ebook version. While those two were out there in the world informing about dating violence, in early 2021, I launched the When Dating Hurts podcast. Now in 2022, I'm publishing the When Dating Hurts audiobook. I did the narration myself because this is my family's story. It's also a story that can save one of your family members. Find the When Dating Hurts audiobook on Audible, Amazon, or iTunes. It's the same life-saving information from the print versions, but now in listening form. Do yourself a favor. Do your family a favor. The When Dating Hurts audiobook is available now.